On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're getting some unconventional therapy from Steve Carell in The Patient on Disney+, Plus. investigating a very Canadian murder with Alfred Molina in Three Pines on Prime, navigating some unconventional living arrangements with Jessica Brown-Finley in The Flat Share on Paramount+, Plus, and, and getting a surprise second invite back to Slough House for this year's second helping of Slow Horses on Apple. And speaking of which, Gary Oldman and Saskia Reeves join us on the show this week to talk to Boyd. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters and a podcast that is well and truly getting into the Christmas spirit, even though it's only November, because we sat down this week to watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which is definitely a TV show or possibly a film or possibly a 42 minute special TV drama one off event, but definitely one of those things. And I am, as is my want, joined by a man who will almost certainly have very strong feelings on which of those exactly it is. It is Boyd. Let's review a film this week for reasons hilton how are you boyd uh i'm okay i've got a bit of a i think i might sound a bit coldy because um i'm actually coming to you live from um gran canaria and, <laughs> of course you are. Uh, yeah for work i'm doing a set <laughs> visit and uh i think i've got i just sound a bit coldy you know like i think it's the different the climate change from is it the humidity <laughs> i think it's the humidity the change from miserable rainy cold london to sunny warm Spain or something, I don't know. But yeah, so I'm a bit discombobulated. And I haven't watched the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which is obviously a TV special. <laughs> well, and, and then, as is right, we reviewed it on Empire on Friday. Uh, yeah. But we are also joined. We are also joined with someone who can help thrash this out. It is Beth. I don't care what you call it, but you can fuck right off if you think I'm watching something feature length. Web, how are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that is a lie. Like, one of my favorite film slash TV shows of this year has been Werewolf by Night, which come in at a key hour, hour runtime. So, so that's your intro scuppered <laughs> but on a scale of one to ten and be honest how excited were you that one of the shows this week was 21 minutes long oh my god beside myself <laughs> be beside myself <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was pretty excited about that too it's got to be yeah. said uh but other than those things what of you know varying lengths have you been watching this week i mean we have to start with andor we have to we probably do again Set aside the next 45 minutes for a bit of Andor chat. Uh, It was the finale. It did drop on Wednesday. There was a sting in the credits, if anyone missed it. Uh, Obviously, without spoilers, we will not spoil Andor in any way. So fear not. We will talk in general appreciative terms. But what did you think, Beth? How did it make you feel? It was my favourite episode. Um, So I did did the thing I haven't done since the Better Call Saul finale, which was to get up at an ungodly hour before work. I say an ungodly hour. It was on Disney Plus from 8am. I got up at 8am <laughs> <laughs> and watched it through bleary, teary eyes occasionally and absolutely adored it. Like, we've spoken about the world, like the world building on the show quite a lot, but this took it to another level. So we're on Ferrix with the, the finale. There's a big event happening that means a lot to Andor. And there's just, I don't think this is spoiler to say space flutes. Space flutes, space drums. <laughs> it was a space band. Sort of, yeah, space band to, to, be, to be more general. And the, like, the prop design in itself is incredible. And then you've got costume design on top of that. Like the, the construction of Ferrex is this kind of incredibly, we've said how lived in it feels, but this just took it to everything in this episode, just took it to a completely other level. You didn't have the same spectacle as the prison episode. You didn't have the same kind of 
it was as tense as the the big heist episode, but it didn't have that big visual spectacle, you know, the the big effects. It was very much huge emotional stakes, big rousing moments. And it just it just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. The casting as well. I was just looking at every single face in that show and thought that is that is perfect casting. Everyone's got something incredible about their face. There was this like Father Christmas looking dudes in the in part of it that I just couldn't take. He had <laughs> he had a great big bushy beard and like this and it was like this big long white beard. I think he was like banging a drum or something and I just couldn't take my eyes off him. And he was an extra. He wasn't even like necessarily integral to the plot. And I was like captivated by him. I'm going off. I loved it. I just, I just loved it. Um, I don't know how I feel about this thing. I don't, I don't want to see what it is. Suffice to say, this show has, has made a name for itself on not catering to fan service. Like I said last week, I think there's no lightsabers. Someone pointed out, maybe there was one mention of a Jedi, but there's not, there's not much reference to that. It doesn't go down very obvious routes. But there's something that ties it up at the end of this. And I uh, I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it because there's there, there's a whole a whole thing about uh, I can't even go into it. But that there's it makes so much sense to other parts of the the episode. And I've loved going through social media afterwards and seeing people piecing together clues and stuff. But I just don't I don't know whether we we needed it or not. I don't know. It does set things up for the next season. James is like grinning. I think James loved it. I did. Um, I did love it. But then also, I 100%. Well, you know what? I, I don't want to spoil it. I, I, I had seen that coming. Not that it would be the sting, but I was fairly certain that this is a thing that would happen. But, uh, but, but all of that said, I think, you know, in terms of needing it, it's not even to me about the sting. It's just like, I have never in my life needed a series in my life more than I needed Andor. And I think the reason for that is, as I have mentioned many times, I was on set of Empire Strikes Back when I was like four. And, you know, there are pictures, there is proof. Star Wars has been like a fixture in my life since I can remember. And I've always loved it with that kind of sort of almost pure, you know, critically irrelevant, sort of pure, absolutely unfiltered love that children have for things which form their childhood. And I didn't realise how far Star Wars had fallen in my estimations. Like, I'd, I'd loved it so much. And then, you know, whether it be Rise of Skywalker, whether it be Book of Boba Fett, whether it be Obi-Wan, like, I had started to eye-roll at everything Star Wars. I'd started to just feel a bit like, I just don't like this anymore. Like, it's just not good. I'm just not enjoying it. Like, And I was getting quite angry about some of these shows. And for me, like, Marvel had kind of eclipsed Star Wars in my affections. And it's it was this show. It's like It was like, you know, it... it it made, I'm not going to say made Star Wars great again, but you know what I mean. Oh, like, it genuinely, <laughs> it, like, it, it, it brought back to me why I love this universe and completely disproved something that I've always felt, which is that when you take away uh, all the trappings of Star Wars, it's no longer Star Wars. And actually, this did remove a lot of the trappings of Star Wars, except for the Empire. And it was the most Star Wars. And it was the most bold and progressive Star Wars treatment I've seen since The Last Jedi, which I know polarized a lot of people for that very reason. But um, yeah, this, this, I needed this in my life so much. I can't even tell. You. So, as a spoiled, entitled fanboy, you were, you were finally given what you wanted. Yeah, by, exactly yeah. that. Yes, exactly that. I wanted Star Wars for grown ups. I got Star Wars for grown ups. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> it's almost like I'm almost quite sad because we are now at a halfway point in a two season stretch. Like yeah. he's not doing mm. any more. And I just want to claw claw a few more episodes in, please. Which is saying a lot for me considering they ain't short. Um no, but not. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I always like it's always a long running joke with my partner, his his favourite Star Wars film is Rogue One. And it's just like, okay, I'm just we, saying that to we be. We need to have a conversation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, this is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl kind of like, oh, my favorite Star Wars is like my favorite Beatle is Ringo kind of thing. And then watching Andor, I'm like, Do you know what? I get it. <laughs> so is I he, what, he, Andor must be like his, his greatest thrill. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm really, we're going to watch Rogue One again at Christmas and I can't wait. I can't wait to go back to it. I, I'm going to watch um, Rogue One again. Yeah. I've had, yeah. I've been inspired, that inspired by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I said someone pointed out on Twitter to me that um, I managed in a, in in what's probably a first. Boyd has managed to spoil an Empire spoiler special. <laughs> I can't listen to the Andor mid-season one knowing that Helen's finale prediction was correct. And also mentioned on there is what happened in the post-credit sting. As yes, well. it is. Yes, yeah. So, which is quite um, funny that we actually did nail that. Yeah. That's what it was going to be. Yeah. Mm. Well done. Yeah. So I I I I would love the post-credit sting because. Um, I'd already been told, I'd already knew that it might be that, or at least that was a thing. I also think it's different as far as fan service goes, like it's not, I, I thought it was great because it's not like bringing in, oh, we can't talk about it, but it's not like doing some things they could have done in the post credits thing, which would have been glib, you know, and oh, absolutely. forced. Yeah, this was like a thing that was being, that had been built up by the story, by the series, yeah. you know. So it was organic and it didn't organic. feel like a bolt on. Yeah, organic. it felt like That's something that could have been in the show itself, but they yeah. left it till the last minute. Right. It didn't feel like, oh, look, it's Darth Vader. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it didn't. Mm. They didn't need to do that because exactly. that would have enraged yeah. me. But yes. now, now people know it's not Darth Vader. I mean, it's, it's not, Darth Vader. It, yeah. it's yes. not Darth Vader. I'm going to spoil it by saying it's not Darth Vader. It's not Darth Vader. Um, uh, yeah. So I thought that I, I really liked it. I really liked it. I thought the, just the way the final episode kind of it didn't tie things up, but it brought all the threads together. You know. And that way it did that in, a, in a, also in an organic, believable, authentic way um, was so clever. And you're right, the casting, oh my God, every single person in there, as you've already said, Beth, I'm just underlining it, yeah, is, is, has been so fantastically well cast. Um, it's things like this that remind you of, you know, the fact that, that there are now awards for casting directors is quite, it's such a good mm. thing because they do a miraculous job in, fi in yeah. finding the, the right person for every single role in a show like this, you know, all the awards deserved. I think it is, I just think it's um, the way... The, the kind of uh, skill of the writing and the directing and the production design and all, all of the things are absolutely peak TV worthy. You know, they really are up there with, you know, the better call souls and the, all of that. And I think because it's science fiction, because it's Star Wars related, you know, it might be actually be slightly undervalued in terms of that. But, but actually, you know, episode for episode, um, ambition, you know, all of that, it, it's, it's just up there. But also, also, and, and I hate doing this because it makes it seem like I'm just saying films are better than TV, but I think it's fair to say that the Star Wars TV stuff has not quite felt in the same league as the films, not just in terms of large-scale spectacle and action, but in terms of, oh, quality is a difficult word. But certainly, you go to Boba Fett, it's quality. You go to Obi-Wan, it's quality and, you know, just just the, the sort of... 
Okay, Obi Wan looked cheap. That's what I'm getting at. Obi Wan looked very cheap. Is, is it, what I'm I saying. Mean, and that's is it because all you say the volume? volume. <laughs> yeah. Funny, if I ever mentioned that, the volume looks really cheap. <laughs> yeah. No, but but what I'm saying with this is like there was nothing about this that ever looked less than like massive budget. There was nothing mm. about this in terms of the writing, as you say, the acting, the the, the, the production design. All of it felt like you know people have been throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at it, and it felt lavish. It felt like you know if you'd seen this in the cinema, you'd have come out and said that was a really fucking long film. But you'd also have come out and said. That was glorious. Mm. That makes my top five Star Wars movies. Mm. I still yeah. can't go over the prison set. You know, the, yeah. the yeah. that whole system that they conceived with all the water flowing down oh, and the levels yeah. and the then the individual cells and then the the floor mm. and the and the you know, all of it. it what such a brilliantly conceived thing. I wanna know yeah. who I really wanna know. I really wanna read more and more about the making of it, like how how you know, how all the elements came together for that particular element mm. of it, because that was so extraordinarily brilliant. Oh, well, like millions of voices crying out in terror and then suddenly being silenced. I can just hear the howls of people saying, please stop going on about this show again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we sure. do have a spoiler special coming. We've got two already. There will be another Andor spoiler special for the last two episodes. We haven't recorded it yet. We will do it at some point. So do keep an eye out on the Empire Spoiler Specials channel for that. Uh, and the last thing I will say is a big shout out to Denise Goff. There's a lot of great people in this show. A lot, a lot of great people. Everyone knows Andy Serkis is great. Everyone knows Stellan Skarsgård's great. Mm. But Denise Goff, who's a theatre actress, is outstanding in this and our very yeah. own Ben Travis is speaking to her at this very moment as we speak for things going up on the Empire website so do keep an eye out for that right what else have we been watching Beth was there anything else or has Andor eclipsed all things for you uh, I've continued my mythic quest quest um, and recruited our very own Sophie Butcher along the way which makes me very happy <laughs> um, last time we spoke she'd cleared the bottle episode in the first season which I, I keep trying I've made it my mission in life for you to watch James and I will not rest until you've done it <laughs> even if you just that's the beauty of a bottle episode you could just watch that one. Oh, I have no uh, but I've seen the lockdown episode so I have no. watched Mythic West oh yeah you've seen the lockdown one there's a, there's a standalone one with Jake Johnson in the first season okay I also watched which, the pilot but it's very good it's very good it's just you know it comedy. is very good and the one I've just watched in season three was directed by Danny Pudi which is amazing um, so it's fun to have him on board. So yeah, third season, just very much more of the same. Good fun. I tell you what, I haven't been watching, and I've I've really become one of you people because I'm <laughs> one getting, of us people. <laughs> I'm become. I I obviously blitz through the first. We got the first five episodes of the White Lotus made available to us, and I just about managed to to pace myself. But I I did watch them pretty quickly, and we're hanging in limbo after quite a cliffhanger on the end of the fifth episode for the other two to come through. So I, I'm like F5 refreshing this bloody screeners page that I've watched the other episodes like a spoiled little baby. So this is what, <laughs> this is what I haven't been watching. <laughs> Give us six and seven, you bastards. Yeah. But it, oh, is it, I do wish I could do, uh, I wish I, I had the, the kind of reserve to actually sit down and watch it weekly because like the reactions that are coming through every week and and people responding to the characters is it's just so much fun to watch. So I yeah. almost wish I didn't, but I, I've got to watch it. I've well, there's that it. sense also. It's just like when you watch these things, it's like I could, I could watch this along with everyone else, enjoy it as a cultural event, have it all paced out so I don't go through these massive like dry patches where I can't watch it. And also, crucially, don't have to watch it through seven inch, you know, letters of my email address in the middle of the screen. <laughs> but then someone sent you a link, you're like, well, maybe if I just watch one or two. And then there's the whole lot. Talking of um watching things weekly finally um american horror story new york has arrived yes. on disney plus without any 
and no one told me, you know, I'm furious about <laughs> it. Um, but so loads of people tweeted me on uh, Wednesday, uh, yesterday when recording this saying it arrived without, yeah, without, without Disney Plus announcing that it was going to arrive, fine. But they're also sticking to the FX Hulu delivery of it in America. They're showing two episodes a week. And I, I assume like the only, one of the only valid reasons for waiting this long to for it to arrive is so they could have it all there in one go. But no, they're sticking to two episodes a week, <laughs> frustratingly for people. So who your box set theory has been blown out of the water? Totally blown out of the water, yeah. I don't know why they're doing that. And maybe... Down to Ryan Murphy insisting on it. I don't know, right? You know, he, he decided. That's to- nodding emphatically. No, she's not actually, yeah. but she should be. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's Ryan Murphy's fault. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ryan Murphy's fault. It could be. But just to reiterate, because I did finish, I didn't talk about the final two episodes, but it does, again, without spoiling anything, it kind of starts out as, as I mentioned before, like a kind of um, cruising inspired the Al Pacino film about cop investigating a gay serial killer, a serial killer of gay men. And it starts off like that with um, with Russell Tovey in that role, in the Al Pacino role. But it then mutates and turns into something completely different and bizarre and Ryan Murphy-esque in, in, in I think, a good way when he, you know, when he does stuff that is completely bizarre. And the f- final two episodes are absolutely out there they are like a kind of kind of weird well i think possibly inspired by it's a sin i don't know but it definitely gets into um it definitely gets into aids in the 80s and the impact it had and it becomes almost like a kind of completely different genre like not not a horror thing at all like a kind of of almost like a um fantasia drama about what happened you know to these people and how they're affected by hiv in the mid 80s in new york and it's and it's just there's a time jump and I'm trying not to spoil it by saying too much more but it, do, it the way what it turns into is is incredible I think like really really interesting and possibly one of the best, best things Ryan Murphy's ever done wow so uh, I encourage everyone so if you if you think the, the early episodes are are not for you I don't know you, you may think they're completely ridiculous <laughs> but what it turns into is really really fascinating I think so the whole series is uh, is pretty amazing in the end definitely and also has an incredible cast led by Russell Tovey. And just to see Russell in, I am obviously biased because I know Russell, but in a, in the lead role, he is the lead of the show, definitely, of, a, of an American horror story with such extraordinary stuff covered. And it's so um, daring and out there. I'm trying to put the, the B word, the bold word. It's, it's brilliant <laughs> to see. So yes, American Horror Story, NYC, two episodes weekly on Disney+. Plus. Get on board. And the only other thing I've been watching is, is the new series of Elite on Netflix, which is the unbelievably uh, raunchy teen drama in in Spain, the Spanish teen drama. It's kept up its record of being full of gratuitous nudity, rampant um, action, ludicrous storylines. But the one thing it really interestingly has done in this series, which is a kind of a follow-on from the last series, because it introduced last series a character of a superstar footballer and his gay son. And the footballer himself turned out to be gay as well, bisexual. They follow that through this season, and it's very timely because as we're going through the the World Cup and the controversies about how it's affected um, LGBTQ people and the way that the players, without going into the whole thing, end up not wearing this armband, and it's all got very ridiculous and because they, you know, they were basically all of that. It feels very timely that elite of all shows. The absolutely ridiculous Spanish teen drama that is really entertaining and funny um, <laughs> and raunchy is gr- grappling with the whole issue of uh, gay footballers and the way and what it, what it, what would happen if you know at some an actual proper superstar footballer was out and gay or bisexual and it's doing it in a really interesting way and a really, and a really challenging way. So 
for that reason alone, it's 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 been um, it's been a really interesting watch as well. So, yeah, that's what I've been watching. Uh, there was another finale this week, not just Andor. The Walking Dead came to an end on well, oh. to be honest, it will have been a week ago by the time we go out on Monday. Uh, but obviously, I watched it last Sunday, and it was rubbish. Oh, oh dear. no! It was rubbish. One hundred and forty-seven oh. episodes I sat through to get to that, oh, and it was no. dreadful. And oh. it was dreadful on a number of levels. It was dreadful because it was trite, and some of the writing was mm, tricky, and it didn't really do anything really interesting or exciting. And there was a big action set piece that just kind of felt like they had it in there because they needed to. But there were so many things wrong with this, and and part of it was that the comics end in a really interesting way, but the comics end with a time jump. And because they're doing so many spin-off series, they can't end with a time jump because they've got too much else going on. There are too many plates spinning. They can't just knock them all to the floor. So that's so they couldn't do the really interesting ending, which kind of puts a cap on this whole world. But what they did was actually they leaned into the opposite thing, that this entire final episode was basically a little bit of tying up loose threads in a kind of cack-handed way, and then half an hour of extended trailers for the spin-off shows. Like, each spin-off show got its own sequence trailing it. Like, uh, you know, really clunkily, like, two characters... And there's even a point where, because we know that, that Norman Reedus is getting his own spin-off that's not a spoiler, but there's even a bit where he and Carol are sitting down and she's he's like, I really wish you could come with me. She goes, yeah, I know. And it's just like, is this how meta is this that she was supposed to be in the spin-off with him and then decided she didn't want to because she didn't want to relocate to do the spin-off? So she's bowed out of it and he's doing it on his own. It's just like, it felt just so pointed. And then... Every spin-off you can think of, like, had its own, like, set-up moment. And you're just like, this is not a finale. This is just promotional activity. Like, what are you doing? Oh, and God. I felt robbed. I felt cheated. I was borderline furious. Oh, no. Um, I wasn't happy at all. I mean, look, look, am I going to watch Walking Dead, Dead City? Yes, of course I am. Am I going to watch the Rick and Michonne spin-off? Yes, again, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I just, because I kind of feel at this point, like, it's it's just, oh, I'm just, I'm too far, I'm too far gone. I can't get out. Uh, and also, I feel like certainly the Rick and Michonne one is going to be a limited series, so I can, I can just about make it through that. But, no, Walking Dead, no. Oh, no. Do you know what? It was my, it was friend of the podcast, Steve Webb's birthday on Monday. And I asked him what he was doing in the evening. And he was like, well, you know, England have just won, really happy. Now I'm going to go home and get out the tissues and just have a good cry to the Walking Dead finale. But I think he's going to have cried for different reasons based yeah. on what you've just said. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of tears oh, to be had, no. but, but not the kind that they were really going for. So not happy uh, about that. Uh, however, I have been enjoying the peripheral because the per peripheral, which I'm still watching on Prime, uh, has taken an interesting turn. So a new New character, which is Inspector Lobier of the Metropolitan Police Department, has come in, played by Alexandra Billings, and she is fantastic. <laughs> she absolutely chewed up the scenery uh, in the most recent episode that I've seen, and I loved it. So actually, again, as we go out, there will have been one after that, but uh, I thought that was fantastic. The only thing I will say is, I am slightly, like, and even now, as I'm, what, seven episodes in, I can't remember, but I can't, like, Gary Carr's accent, I can't quite pinned down so gary who was in uh he was in downton abbey uh but he he, so he plays wilf and gary himself is i believe from south london i believe he's an english actor but he's he's putting on this kind of like yes like i'm gary i'm not sure it's, it's almost like he's doing boris johnson oh. and i'm just it's very very and i'm like i'm not sure what they were going for like it may not be his decision this might be like a creative decision that the show runs but I don't, I don't understand the accent. It's really <laughs> off-putting. Like, is it supposed to be posh? Is it supposed to be like what is it supposed to be? But it's just like yes, I'm Wilf. Hello, and I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, no. pin it down. 
It's, it's freaking me out. You guys must remember this when we reviewed it. Or was it so long ago you don't even remember? No, I do I think you remember it. Yeah. And there is some there's some odd actors. Everyone's either from London in the show yeah. or North Carolina. So there's an awful lot of sort of accent soup in there. But is it uh, London in I'm, the future? London yeah, way. Fu- well, it's future North Carolina and then future, future, future London. Future, future, yeah, really future. Maybe yeah. they're maybe they're saying thinking that future, future, future London, everyone will have a weird accent and you know be Do you think it's that. because Boris Johnson has been re-elected so many times that everyone now speaks that way? In the same way that oh, in God. Spain, in Spanish they lisp their S's in Spain because one of the, the kings of Spain had a lisp and it became yeah, fashionable. And is that what it is? Yes. I was told this by oh. Helen O'Hara, who is full of excellent information, and she said yes. yes, it's because one of the kings had a lisp, and so everyone lisps in Spain. Uh, because it was fashionable and now it became a thing. Oh my that god! That's a fact. Wow. Yeah. If it turns out not to be a fact, blame Helen O'Hara because again she <laughs> told me so. Uh, so there we go. And I th- Helen's facts are always correct. I, I believe. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Helen doesn't get things wrong, so it's, so it's absolutely fine. And the other thing we saw, which was Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which I have seen, but is also a film. It's not a film. I mean, it's not a film. It's forty-two <laughs> minutes long. It's clearly an episode of a TV show. But we did talk about it on Empire. The only thing I will say is it is wildly inessential. So you know, don't feel that you need to watch it at all. Is it, is, is it good fun though? Is it good fun? Does it have to serve a purpose? Like is Dave Batista in a big snuggly jumper, like and he's great, and I yeah. love him. And Pom Clementif yeah. is fantastic as Mantis, and they really, really get that kind of weird chemistry the two of them have because they're mm. essentially the main stars of this. Uh, but it's really relentlessly stupid uh, and doesn't have the bite that I really like from the Guardians films. Uh, and so actually, I found it a little irritating at times like there are musical numbers and stuff and part of me is just like stop this just just stop this yeah, I think I, it might be my lack of Christmas spirit though I, I also I've read quite a lot of very positive reviews of this and yes, I'm thinking so have I. yeah maybe they are more in tune to having a bit of fun <laughs> and less maybe. pompous and judgmental yeah. than you are all when those it comes things to, yeah. Yeah, I did see there were like it. 9 out of 10 reviews between you and you can still take them down void I love <laughs> yeah, it thank you yeah. the lump of coal I have in my chest as my heart unfortunately yeah. would not allow me to invite in the Guardians the Galaxy holiday special. Because what's interesting <laughs> is we didn't even consider it to review on this no. podcast. We didn't even That's talk true. about it. Lu- uh, no, I completely forgot because it kind of somehow, <laughs> I rely on James for anything related to Marvel to be reminded about. <laughs> and he completely rejected the whole idea of even considering it. Even though it's obviously a TV program. Much like the Grinch, I did steal your Christmas. Uh, sorry about that, Boyd. Yes, but uh, we did talk about it in Empire. If you want to know about it, uh, you can listen to us talk about it there. And it is on Disney Plus this week. So, you know, enjoy the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Fucking stupid as it is. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, one thing I would like to mention, one thing, and I can't remember his name. I do apologize, but someone pointed out to me on, on, on Twitter. Just, again, I'm not going back to Andor, but he did say one thing. He said, he said he read on Reddit that people have described Andor as Les Mis in space, and that is now all I can think about when I think oh about that God. show. Think about it, people. Just sit with that for a bit. It 100% is Les Mis wow. in space, which musical. explains why I love it. Without the music. Without the music. <laughs> right. Les Mis in space without the music. The original novel by whatever Yeah, Victor Hugo. Yeah, yeah Victor exactly Hugo. that. Yeah. Exactly that. Right. Okay, fine. That was what we've been watching. I'm going to I'm gonna say let's move the... What are we? We're 27 minutes in. Fuck it. Let's move the interview up. Let's do that now. Let's have our guests. Uh, now, Christmas did come early, I think, for all of us this month. Because Slow Horses returned for yet more escapades from the rejects and misfits of MI5. Now, this this was a whole thing. So when Slow Horses finished, when the first season finished, bear in mind, so it was April, I think, Slow Horses season one was. And in the final episode, and I think I alluded to this, I might have even just said it on the podcast, when it all wrapped up, 
the most surprising thing was you, we were suddenly hit with this trailer for season two showing they'd already fucking made it and it was ready to go. And so now we've had two seasons of Slow Horses in one year and that is absolutely fabulous. I'm very, very excited about this. <laughs> uh, not to spoil the review later on. But anyway, uh, Slough House's very own Jackson Lamb, Mr. Gary Oldman and Catherine Standish, Saskia Reeves, are back on our screens, which is very, very exciting. And in Gary's case, back on this podcast for the second time this year. Uh, but they both came on very recently and met up with Boyd, Pilot TV's very own spymaster. And here it is. It strikes me as very unusual for a kind of big streaming service like Apple TV Plus to have a second season of a show arrive so soon after the first season's gone out. Is this a reflection, do you think, on, of, of um, Apple's excitement about the project, about the show? Um, or just was it just the best way to do it, just to kind of adapt the second novel in the series and go straight into another season? Well, I'm told that they just absolutely loved it and were just really eager to give us a second go, you know, another another crack at it. And here we are having now Saskia and I, own, own, we only just finished shooting yesterday. Um, season three. Season yeah. three. And we come back in February to start season four. So, um, and that, I think that must be obviously subscription drive it and the audience and um, and I and Apple I think they think they have a really good 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 show on their hands, um, but it is unheard of. I think it was a first. Reviews were good, so but yeah, to green light a uh, yeah to green light it before the first one came out the second. Was uh, was a big de- was a big deal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're from a series of books, so I think Mick has actually written book seven and eight since we've started filming. I think book seven was called Bad Actors, and I said to him, "I hope the experience of making mm. <laughs> the first and the second <laughs> book didn't influence the title of your <laughs> seventh book." Um, anyway, uh, I think that. I was hoping that they would embrace the whole thing because they're such a wonderful series of books and the characters develop and you get new characters and new stories. So it's very exciting that they went, yeah, actually, this is great. But I have to say, when I heard about the series and we were doing one and two and knowing that Mr. Oldman was going to be in it, I thought, of course they're going to do (laughs) series two and series three. Yeah, they know they're onto a good thing. I don't, don't know. Um, Gary, I mean, it's, it, for, this goes for both of you. Like, it's not like you're wanting for roles or jobs, you know, in, in recent years. Um, so this is a huge commitment, isn't it, to do this number of series for this show um, over the next few years. You know, I don't, will you have time to do other stuff? Do you, or are you so enjoying this doing this show that it doesn't matter about other stuff? Well, personally for me, I feel very lucky. You know, I feel very privileged to just be able to do something with with such a good, you know, pedigree. Certainly Apple is looking after us. Yeah. The talent that the show attracts. I was actually, I, I was speaking earlier, I... I don't really intend. It's it's uh, currently it's my intention not to do anything other than the show, but I did a day on Oppenheimer for Nolan, 
had to go through a whole, because of the period it's set in, in the 40s, you know, I had to go through a whole prosthetic thing and a wig and everything because I just said, look, look, Chris, I can't cut my hair because I'm committed to doing the show. So just be aware that it's, it, it's not me coming in and just, you know, popping in and getting a haircut. So I am... I have the the hair that I have, and uh, um, th- this is this is me for as long as um, as long as Apple want to write the checks, you know. And we continue to we continue to do the show. So I'm um, I, I mean I'm lucky in in as much that I I probably can you you know have the downtime. If if this is me at near I'm nearly sixty five. There are careers that wane and that start to drop off at, at, at that age. You know what I mean. So I feel really lucky to have not only uh, not only is the show good, but to have you know to p- play a role this this with this much fun. And we are we really all get on. You know, it it's lovely, really amazing group of people. I mean, production crew yeah. and the actors. So, um, if this is if this is it for me for the next, you know, foreseeable future, now I'm quite I'm ha- yeah. very happy to I feel be the in, same way be in the company of these people. Uh, I mean, I don't. Ha- I I I have an amazing wig. I, I feel like I'm cheating saying that because it doesn't look like a wig, which means that I was able to do. Uh, a part in a film in the summer, managed to sort of weave it in amongst my filming days. And the Apple TV Plus were very, and Seesaw were very helpful. And they've all said at the beginning, if well, if you want to squeeze something in, we'll try and help you. I, I'm loving playing Catherine Standish. I, she gives me huge pleasure and, I, and I've been really heartened by the response from some of my girlfriends or other... They've enjoyed seeing her have fun and, you know, a woman that you would normally perhaps just ignore actually yeah. has secret talents. And Yeah. Yeah. I feel there's a theme of, of, of you of being underestimated, people being underestimated in, in this, this show, that Standish is underestimated possibly by, by Jackson and by everyone. Uh, Jackson's underestimated by, you know, the powers that be and the... It's a fascinating theme, isn't it? As Gary said, we're working with some wonderful people in front of the camera and behind the camera, so it's um, very satisfying. And Will Smith, who's writing it and and he oversees the whole thing, he's he's remarkably receptive and um, encouraging, and um, he's interested in as an actor how you, you know I all the thinking and research I do, he's allowed me to offer up some suggestions or to say to him, well, if we're really talking about somebody who's a recovering alcoholic, let's, let's be honest about that. And I've, I've respected him enormously for allowing me to have various conversations with him, especially on something this size. It's, um, it's lovely not to be marginalised or, or sort of left to the last minute. Yeah, he's not precious either. No. With the writing, you know, he's very open to changes and ideas. I think also what I'm hoping what gives us an edge is that there's a lot of these streaming 
programs that they they switch out the director every two episodes and we don't we don't do that we have we we basically hire a director to come in and make a 6 hour movie and i just feel that there's a, an understanding and a rapport and a and a, a, a comfort level that you get with someone who is overseeing the, the, the one person, one vision overseeing the whole arc. Yeah, in a way, this is like feels like a movie sequel, doesn't it? In a way, to to the first chunk. Of, of that's story. how. Yeah, I mean, that's how I. Yeah, kind of. You, you're not. It, do you find that you don't really feel like it's a series? You feel like you're just making a. I feel like it's just like a big six yes, hour I, film. Yes, exactly. But I think that's because you've got the initial sort of source material which is mixed novels and although they're allowed to sort of grow them a bit in areas and expand and you know they can squash two characters into one they will and the other writers are allowed some movement and i think mix in the writing room so he's allowed to almost develop on the writing that he started in the books which i think is really Great. Uh, so it doesn't feel like a series. It doesn't feel like, oh, what we're going to do now because everyone loves it. There's a sort of blueprint that we can follow, but we're also allowed to to, to give in our own creative uh, influence. Yeah, we're lucky there because we got we got. I mean, there's eight books now, and I I, I mean maybe we'll do all eight. I I don't know yet, but we know that we've got the stories. Mm. Um, we're not getting to season five, and there's writers in a room scratching their head, going, oh, yeah, okay, exactly. "Where are we going to take the story, and where are we going to take the characters?" And 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 you do often watch these long running shows, and then you just go, "Oh, God, they jumped the shark. This is, you know, this is ridiculous. That character that we've been following would never do anything like that. You know, they're trying to, they're." Desperately inventing stuff, yeah. Um, so we're lucky that we've got um, the, the 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 books to follow, and um, there's no stopping him. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. He's I don't know how many they'll end up uh, end up being. Um, I know. No, one of the I'll big... be in a home. Sixteen. You'll be Jackson. <laughs> you 16. and me together. Oh. Sixteen, eighteen. Sixteen or eighteen? Oh, <laughs> yeah. One yeah, of the biggest uh, compliments I got, actually, or have ha- have received, is, "Oh my God, they're, they're just like the character." When I read the books, it's just how I wanted them to be. I mean, that's not always necessarily a sign of success, but it did comfort, it did make me feel good. I thought, "Oh, good." You know, we're we're realizing something that because a lot of people have enjoyed these books, and also, I think the first six have been around for a while. I I can't remember when he first published the first one, so you have a certain um, demographic who will read it. You know, and I think that is now changing and developing. And I think someone like Mick must find that very exciting that his work is now going to younger audience or a a more eclectic um, appreciators. You know. He, Mick, Mick, interestingly, um, credits John Le Carre with a lot of inspiration for how he started writing about this world. And it strikes me you've both been in excellent John Le Carre film adaptation. I mean, Tikita Soldier Spy is one, is one is a, I think it's a masterpiece, but this is the other, it's a different side to it, isn't it? And I think what, what makes it so unique is the, is the comedy. It's so funny. It's like those people dealing with espionage and treachery and all of that, but it's incredibly funny. And it's interesting that the writers, 
Will Smith, as you said, and Moena Banks will like, have a background in comedy, don't they? Is that what makes it unique, do you think? Well, you don't. Well, I think I said this earlier, you know, you, you, you don't see Money Penny going to the laundrette. You, he's taken a world that we kind of know um, and that we, uh, that's, you know, it's obviously got a, a, a life. It's, it's got a huge audience. You know, we love the, the, the spy genre and the thriller and all of that. But he's taken it and made it um, personable and, and made it... <laughs> Made it, I think, real. Mm. In, in, in even though even though the show has got a, a it, it's it's the volumes turned up a little on it, you know. But it's but it's a reflection of the of probably I imagine what the real what the real people kind of uh, uh, go through, you know. I mean, also th there isn't a great deal of humour in Lacare. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, as wonderful as the, bo the 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 books are, and the characters, and and mix talent is is. Uh, I mean, his humor is is just terrific. And well, I was talking earlier with him. You know, it, I mean, to to be as offensive, deliberately offensive as Jackson Lamb is, and to be that sarcastic, you know, and flatulent occasionally and, or, and gross in that way, it's just, I love coming in and, <laughs> like, you know. It must be liberating, yeah. It's hugely, <laughs> it's hugely liberating, yeah. There's a there's a moment late in the se in this season, which I won't give away, but it's like imagine if James Bond or George Smiley suddenly farted. A key moment of drama in the whole thing. Well, I think they play around with that. It's like, I, and I can um, I can see as the, if we're lucky enough for these books to be realised, you know, to continue. I can see that they're going to be playing around with that balance of. We're going to take the audience down a spy route, and then we'll flip it. So, um, which is what you're talking about. But I think also what you know, Gary is so you're very funny, but he's also very truthful. So often he'll say, "Nah, that's, I don't believe that." So, so we've got a natural gauge. So we're not going to go silly, silly. So there's always that tension between real, silly, and spy novel. And I think that's a very unique combination, actually, because the yes. temptation is to start being very slapstick and telling the audience, letting them off. And I yes. think, actually, the beautiful thing is you, you, you think and then it, it changes again. I think that's... It's a, yeah, it feels more, to use that awful word, organic, but there's a difference between... Well, like the, well, in a way, like yesterday when we were shooting, yeah. you know, asking for a laugh and just saying the line, you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's that old. It's that old thing of um, ask the question. You know, just ask the question. What I've noticed on this production is the 
the level of production values as well as the level of acting caliber and writing caliber. And some of the sets we've been working on are absolutely amazing. And some of the chase sequences or fight sequences, they're they're not just, oh, let's do a fight sequence. I mean, they're really, really good. So people tumbling down, like in the first series, um, tumbling downstairs. I mean, it's really shocking. So it's not like comedy falling downstairs. Suddenly we're into a really um, genuine fight. And I think that's very exciting for the audience. Yeah. The scope of this second season feels bigger than yeah. the first season. Yeah. You know, those crowds in, in London yeah. and the whole, yeah. Yeah. the threat of space seems huge. I think you can feel them going, they, they st- they're, they're, they're making it and they're thinking, actually, we can go further with this. We can have much more fun with this. Certainly even in this one. Yeah. In Real, ti- in yeah. Real Tigers. Going back, picking up on what Saskia was saying about the set production and the design and all of that. Um, in the first season, there's a couple of moments where I'm looking. Actually, there's the moment where at the beginning of the series, I go to the window and I see Saskia coming across the street. And it's the old building, Victorian building with sash windows. And in the corner was a little cobweb with a dead fly in it. <laughs> In the corner of the window, and no one, no, no, no one is <laughs> going to see that. And I, because this is not a real, it's, it's, believe it or not, it's the interior. It's the interior is not a real building. It, and so I go to the window, and obviously I'm not looking at Saskia because I'm looking at a scrim and a grip picking his nose, but you know, <laughs> but um, I'm looking down, you know, yeah, that's it. The eye line has to be, you know, that's it. Yeah, she's coming across the street. No, a little more left and thing, and I'm standing there at the window, and I look, and there's a fly in a cobweb, and I just thought, oh, holy cow, that is just. I know. That is, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that they've, that they've gone to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. We're running out of time. I've just got one thing I've always wanted to ask you, Gary, since Tinker Taylor came out, which is one of my favourite films. I watch it every few months. Was there ever any talk of doing a sequel, like a Smiley's People with Thomas Alfredson or anything like that? Uh, yeah. I, it's the sequel, um, or sequel, but Smiley's People, yes, there was. I was, I was actually going to direct it. Oh, wow. And worked on it for over a year, and then, uh, and then it, and then it didn't happen. It was a rights issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something to do with, uh, yeah, the rights. Uh, I think someone had probably just taken their eye off the ball, and uh, you know, and then went, and then when they looked back, they went, oh. We don't. We actually don't have this. <laughs> so uh, it, you know when we said um, we can do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it it, it I, I think yeah it would have been like it would have been I think a lot of fun and and I worked you know very very hard on the script and and all of that and but it didn't but it didn't happen and I I think it's in someone else's hands now so. I, I really loved playing George and I really I sort of missed him. Funny enough, when I when with the film ended for many, many months, I just thought, God, I really sort of miss him. 
I liked being in his company. Um, so it was a real, I really jumped at the idea of maybe doing it. And then Tom, and, and then Thomas wasn't going to be involved for all sorts of other reasons. I, but um, it fell to me and uh, I was going to do it and it never happened. So there we are. But we're doing, I've landed, you know, with Jackson Lamb and I'm happy to just, uh, just really, I'd be, yeah. I, if this is, if this is it for me, you know, I've had a good, bloody good career and all the rest of it. If I were to go out with playing Jackson Lamb for the next whatever foreseeable future, then I'd be thrilled. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Gary and Saskia. Thank, Thank you. you. Congratulations on a brilliant show. Right. I believe it's post-bag time. Is it post-bag time? It feels like post-bag yeah, time. Okay, so block aside the next two and a half hours. No, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep it quite light this week. Okay, now I have not had time to triage the post bag this week, so we're just going to have to wing it a little bit. But uh, I will do one, which is I came to me via Instagram, and it came from Babblement Pod. And Babblement Pod said, I know you don't take <laughs> into account mailbags, not on Twitter, but I don't have Twitter and I want to be considered. I really want to know who you yourself and the rest of the gaggle make of this question. If the West Wing was made today, who would you recast as the main character? So I'm asking because I really want to talk to someone about it, but nobody I know cares enough to entertain the question. I really hope this makes it on. I would threaten to not listen anymore if it doesn't, but I will because I have no sense of conviction. Keep up the wonderful work. Well, Okay, so 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 I do care enough to answer this question, but I'm also not going to answer this question. And let me tell you why. And that's because you cannot recast those roles. It cannot be done. They are indelible. I think it's one of those bottled lightning, perfectly cast series. And I don't think it would survive a recasting. I really don't. But what I do think is that what Aaron Sorkin said is that if he were to come back and do The West Wing, it would be maybe more interesting to not bring back those characters. Like maybe still have Jed Bartlett hovering around as an ex president advising stuff but do what he said like have sterling k brown come in as a new president you know do something like have an entirely new administration and I understand also the reason why that's never going to happen and why he hasn't done it. And it's because politics in 2000 and politics in 2022 are very, very different beasts. And I don't know how you make it work. Like, like, can you imagine? Like, so, so we ended the West Wing and had, had John Spencer not died, we'd have had Alan Alda as a president. We'd have had a Republican president, a Republican administration, and potentially an ongoing series then looking at the other side of the aisle. And I think it was the kind of show where you could do that because there was enough bipartisan cooperation. There was very much that there's more that unites us than divides us ethos that ran through it and nowadays politics is so polarized i don't know how that works but i also don't know how that series works without becoming so you know pointed and so you know almost like passive aggressive because like you you had republicans watching the west wing even though it was wildly left wing but it wasn't a problem because again it was great and you know there were lots that they can kind of connect with and nowadays i just don't know that that's the case i don't know that you could do it I don't think that's what they're asking, though, is it? It's, it's who would suit a, a revamp of West... Like, oh, who... we've moved on from the question, man. Oh, we've 100% moved on from the question. Naive expecting James to answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Shame on me. Yeah. How long have I been doing this shit now? Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what they're asking is to, to consider who would be like a new wave of performers who would be able to hit all those beats, have that... Like, what I call big earnest sorkin energy. Yeah, okay, you know, good, like good, good. so self yeah. self-righteous but without being annoying. You know, just teetering on the edge there that they're all so like romantically involved with what they do, but you know, 
and you kind of aspire to be like them, but like, you know, oh, they do a bit of a job's worth. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. like trying, trying to find that sweet spot. Could walk quickly, talk quickly. <laughs> yeah. Good I cardio think, is very important. Fantastic cardio. I mean, as I'm, as I'm saying that, someone like Rachel Brosnan would be amazing. You know, mm. Ms. Maisel, who can kind of hit those like comedy beats, walk fast energy, like very, very good at that stuff. Sterling K. Brown would obviously be amazing. Um, I'd love to see, I never say a name right, which is terrible given how much I love the show. Ray, Ray Seahorn, is that how mm. I say it? Ray Seahorn, yeah. Ray Seahorn, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ray Seahorn is, you know, she, she's maybe got a bit of extra time now, but of course Soul's gone. She could go over to Westway. I'd love to see her in a, in a CJ role or it's like a, Repu- like a Republican press officer. It would be amazing. Oh, that would be good. Denise Goff as a Republican senator. Are we just yeah. slightly <laughs> evil blonde women? Yeah, I mean, uh, she is basically playing a Republican senator. In, uh, <laughs> in, uh, yeah, in yeah, she would be good though, actually. <laughs> I mean, I hate to um, get inspired by James's non-answering of the question, but <laughs> I do like the idea of a proper, you know, MAGA right-wing um, Republican uh, administration being dramatised. That is a really interesting. Mm. I don't think Aaron Sorkin could bring himself to do it because, no. because of what you were saying. That yeah, yeah, the Alan Order character was really an old-school Republican, wasn't he? Like you know, he, he was, was yeah. like proper, like the patriarchal, you know, all of that. But these mad conspiracy theorists new wish now but the yeah. the, the trumpian um your marjorie ones. taylor green types yeah, yeah right yeah i mean she would be brilliant um denise goff as a marjorie taylor green type <laughs> republican <laughs> lunatic she would be absolutely phenomenal so i would like to see that i have to say yeah but, but there's oh. no way yeah sorkin's gonna go for it is there no he's not but we're just we're dreamcasting <laughs> yeah, and that's what we've been asked yeah. to do murray bartlett would be great in a rob lowe character scenario that i'd like to see like he he's would got, actually. He he's got big press officer energy. Yeah, I think he'd be yeah. fantastic on the podium. Like a real showman, like classic good looks. Like yeah, I think he would be. He would be amazing. Um, oh, you've got it's good. It's good because that's that's what we're just thinking. It's like who's a fantastic performer we'd yeah. like to see in a political talking show. And, and like, you, you, I mean, you are right. You could make it work. It's just that sense that, I mean, again, and if you look at the Bartlett administration's track record across all seven seasons of the West Wing, they don't actually achieve an awful lot. But, uh, but like, there's that sense that, you know, obviously Republicans have taken the House in the US and the fact that their main, their main job now, their sort of the thing that seems to be galvanizing them is just to stop any governing from happening. It's like, really? Should that really be the goal of public servants to shut down a government? I can't help feeling you might have missed the point, but I don't know if that would make for good TV. Who knows? I love your naivety about the. It's brilliant. It's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> is that what happens? I mean, them not achieving much is one of the most realistic things about the whole of the West Wing. Yeah, I mean, that's that true. That is true. You know, they did do one thing. They saved Social Security. That's the one thing yeah. they achieved. And yeah. then Bartlett made a, a groundbreaking uh, overture to China in one of the later seasons as well. But really, other than that, they do fuck all. Alison Brie, I'd like to see in it. I'm yes, just, I'm just keeping yes. keep coming back to this. <laughs> I'd like to see Aubrey Plaza somewhere as oh, maybe yeah. a sort of a, a sort of a journalist. One of the people in the bullpen mm, uh, i'd go mm-hmm. with that Aubrey Plaza could be the could be the yeah. new cj i mean she could be the uh oh, she could be anything <laughs> yeah. she could be anything yeah, true true it's just it's just people who are in our minds at the moment <laughs> it's just uh so many good people i yeah who knows i don't think we will ever see it unfortunately but you know maybe one day one day right okay let's do a few more questions before we move on, I am on a t- on a tight deadline today to end the show because I have to get into London to do the Empire podcast later on today. But right, Mark London. A says that London, yeah, that one. 
Mark A. Hey gang, love the pod. Realise you didn't discuss the finale of Killing Eve, unless I missed it, and it's dreadful reception by fans, especially those from the LGBTQ community. The last five minutes are genuinely terrible and play very differently from how the showrunner intended in the interview she's given. Uh, the actors seem to hate the ending even before it aired. Uh, and then uh, also Mark wonders what other shows dropped the ball at the end. Uh, and then and there's a PS. Tell Boydie to watch the rest of the Wrexham doc. It's easily the best of all the recent football docs on TV. Yes, even the Arsenal one. <laughs> yes, uh, I will be doing that. Yes, when I have time. Thank you. Yeah, I acknowledge. I acknowledge the brilliance of the Wrexham documentary. I didn't watch the end of Killing Eve. I I I, I no. bailed long. The second I saw Villanella's Jesus, I was like, nope, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did watch the ending. It. it I mean, I don't. You can't spoil it because there's still people who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Etc. Blah blah blah. Your feelings track with this? It, yeah, it was terrible. But it, but they really got them. The problem with it was they got themselves into a situation they could not really extract themselves from. I feel like one of those things. It's like when you decide to have a serial killer psychopath and a law enforcer essentially you know coming together in some way shape or form and you make it a a love story really about these two characters and you try and work out how to navigate that when one of them is a psychopath you know etc <laughs> it's really hard it's, it's not you know i think it's really hard to work out how to end that do you know what I mean? To make it believable and yet not annoy and and for it not to be blatant fan service and all of that. And they didn't find a way <laughs> to, to make it believable, is all I'd say. So um it just it's one of those things that yeah, it just annoyed everyone, you know, I think pretty much including clearly including the cast. It's an but I wonder what what yeah, what is the ending that would have worked for that story? I don't know. You know, it's like I think I made this comparison at the time when Hannibal Lecter and um Jodie Foster's character, what's she called? Um, in yeah, Clarice Starling. Clarice Starling. In the novel, Hannibal, they basically end up kind of together. You know? Yeah, I know. It's mad. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. Again, and it doesn't work in that novel. It's just insane. And the film actually finds a slightly more slightly more believable way yes, of eating Ray Liotta's brains yeah yeah which is in the book yeah <laughs> but which is a fantastic scene but it, it doesn't go as far as the novel does anyway no. uh, that's what it reminds me of the, the Killing Eve quandary really okay well Charlotte Walker says totally with Beth on the toothbrushing thing I hate oh, seeing it on TV this is a phenomenon <laughs> and she says not squeamish with anything else I've been a doctor for 20 years and seen all sorts but this is what makes me cringe so oh I love this so much I meant to say this actually in, in our intro like the people who have come forward on Twitter my people I love it I love it so much what is it I mean if you're you're a doctor I'd love to know if if you have like a read on actually what it is or if it's just one of those weird inexplicable bodily reactions like I, I don't know um but yeah I'm obsessed I love that I love listening to people playing playing the podcast to their wives being like it's not just you like absolutely brilliant yeah I'd love to know if people have their own versions of a, of a reaction to something like that as well just completely inexplicable weird to to the most mundane it's brushing your teeth do you know what i mean it's not like they're dragging a razor over the skin or whatever it's like just just brushing your teeth and it really sets me on edge but yeah i'd love to know if other people have there must be a name for it because there's a name for people who get enraged by the sound of people chewing isn't there but i don't know if there's a name for people who get enraged by the sound of toothbrushing it's not enraged it's not enraged. it's like creeped out it's it's you get a little shudder, just, you ick, get goosebumps. There's an ick factor to it. It's like, you know, when you, you just inexplicably get a shudder sometimes. It's like that. But then I also get goosebumps in a sort of, just a little bit wired, I guess is the way I would describe it. But yeah, I'd love to know if there's like like a term for it. 
Lots of people pointed yeah. out to me as well that we should have, there were loads of um, tooth brushing scenes, teeth brushing scenes in Better Call Saul. Um, oh, even, do you know what, even talking about it now, I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> but what crucially, you on? don't get this when you brush your own teeth. That's the important thing. No, okay. It's just like shuddering and brushing my teeth. No. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Okay, right. Another question. This one is from, I think, Wachim. And Wachim says, hi, James. Continuing on last week's conversation about shows getting cancelled, I believe that most show writers usually have ideas for one or maybe two seasons, usually after the quality tails off because there are no more fresh ideas to use within the concept of that show. There are notable exceptions, obviously, but I'd say usually that's why shows dip in quality have enough less viewers over the years. Very few writers are like J. Michael Straczynski in that respect. Uh, one last note, I agree with Kay that you should watch the Strictly finale. I'd love to hear, hear how you identify with Craig Revel Horwood. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Um, yes yes don't know who that is at all no idea oh i've got a peripheral question though i am definitely going to get to that uh blasting pigeon says enjoying the peripheral but really struggling with the accents yes both the american drawl and the overly english englishness <laughs> are there any shows you've struggled with because of the accent choices well yes this one um yeah yeah i mean not generally like generally i can get on board with accents even kind of slightly ropey ones do you know what i don't mind when americans do english accents and this is really weird i'm more forgiving of that than when english people do american accents sometimes i don't know why that is because generally i think americans have more difficulty with english accent than than english people do with the american one but i think when i know someone is very english and i see them doing it i'm just always i'm just like stop just stop what are you doing you don't need to do that just just be yourself it's not necessary like like chris o'dowd in quite a few things recently has been Ooh. american in russia i just think just use your accent like it's not a problem for you to not be from america and be in an american film slash show like it's, it's fine just roll accent. with it yeah. exactly like just yeah. just own it again not quite sure what gary carr is doing in the peripheral but it's a bold choice and i'm here for it I mean, you can, yeah, you can, you can use an accent to your advantage. I'm thinking of um, Kingsley Benadir in Love Life. Oh, you watched it, didn't you, James? Love Life with Anna Kendrick. The I TV show. I feel like remember. you did. Did I? I think you did because I was quite taken aback when you said that you had. But Kingsley Benadir is is a love interest in in the first season of um, Love Life. I feel like I feel like we've had this conversation. Please don't make me doubt myself right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking it up now because it does get to the point, and this actually happens where we've watched so many shows that I yeah. just can't pick them out oh here we are here we are anna kendrick stars in a fresh take on a romantic comedy anthology series about the journey from first love to lasting i i have genuinely no recollection of it <laughs> but this could be my own sort of fastly accelerating senility so well, so don't take anything from that okay fair but yeah so they make a they don't change kingsley benedict's accent which is wonderful because he's got he's got a lovely accent and they, they kind of work that into to the story in a way where anna kendrick has a stab at her. British accent and as a as a joke, it does terribly. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely a way where you could kind of work around it. I'm not saying that I'm struggling to find, especially off the back of watching Andor. When I'm going to shut up about it, I promise. But like, <laughs> when you see such a who said accent soup earlier, and that made me laugh. I um, think that was me. Yeah, like that that kind of real accent soup, and it's so it's so lovely to see such a wealth of like regional accents and things in a in a big thing. Yeah, embrace accents more, like native accents. Indeed. Accents are good. Let's have all the accents, especially the uh, 
Creole patois of the belt loader in the expanse. Uh, right, last question, last question, because we do need to move on. And this one's from Billy. And Billy says, prequels are often derided, but arguably the two best shows of this year are both prequels. I think we don't need to name them, do we? <laughs> it's Better Call Saul and that other one that we might have mentioned earlier this episode. Is the prequel curse now broken? Mm, Maybe. It's a tough one because I feel like we're we're just at the tip of a... And it, I feel all oh, we're going to get are prequels now, to be honest. There's only so many which ways we can go. Also, Obi-Wan was a prequel, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and that definitely didn't break any curses. No. I, I wonder whether sometimes it's because all prequels, as we've said many times, are, are sort of in sort of narrative handcuffs because of you know where they're going and if prequels do things badly they can i know there's the split opinion on this and we talk about this in the empire podcast a lot the pissing in the pool aspect which is that there's they can ruin something that you love because they they undermine its foundations uh not undermine foundation which is obviously brilliant no matter what you do with it whereas whereas i think in this like better call sword is excellent in its own right and yes we knew where it was going but it was about the journey and the journey was i would say as surprising as any journey could possibly Possibly be within a prequel space. Like I could not. In if you had pinned me down and threatened me with piranhas, I don't think I could have laid out the plot of Better Call Saul, even though I knew where it was going. And I think Andor again, I could not have told you where that was going from one episode to the next. Didn't have a clue. So I think it shrugged off those constraints very, very uh, adroitly. Yeah, I think pre prequels can be. Um, I don't think there's any hold and fast rule. I think to. I think there can be a whole added extra element, which I think Andor, in fact, because Andor doesn't feel like it's. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be a prequel that's going to lead us to a particular eventuality, you know, to make us all go, oh, and that, you know, actually as in the end of Rogue One, to be honest, you know, it doesn't feel like they're doing that. Um, it feels like they've taken this opportunity to have a very densely layered and um, adult Star Wars drama, and they've used this world and this character as the starting off point more than, do you know what I mean, more than let's make a prequel to Rogue One. It, it, it feels more like that. This is this is a really good this is a good character and a good world to kind of get into this kind of peak TV drama that just happens to be in the Star Wars universe to me. So it's a, whereas Better Call Saul, the brilliant thing about Better Call Saul in a way is the way it does lead up to the events in Breaking Bad and the way it plays off Breaking Bad is is adds another layer of joy and intrigue to that whole series you know you're like kind of like constantly thinking how is all this going to ha work how is it ha why hasn't Reese Horton's character been mentioned you know that added to the brilliance of that show I think and it, in a kind of knowing way it's like the showrunners are going oh yeah we know you're intrigued as to how this is all going to end up connecting to Breaking Bad and we're going to really really kind of go for it and make that a, a, a key element of the whole brilliant narrative of that series so it's almost like the fact that it was a prequel is one one of the major joys of that whole thing I think I agree entirely shall we move on from the post bag uh, except Let's... I have one I have one oh. message I wanted to read out this oh, is from yeah this is from a guy called Robert Frost who um, I, I hosted a Litvinenko which we may be reviewing next week which is oh the week after actually is a forthcoming ITVX drama starring David Tennant as um, Livinenko, who was poisoned. Um, and it's all about the, his, his wife and the investigation and trying to find justice. Anyway, this guy worked as an editor on episodes of, um, of that show, and he messaged me because he came to the screening, and he said um, he's a big fan of the pilot podcast, and uh, most recently he's often communicates to you, James, apparently, which, well, funnily enough, you haven't mentioned. So he says, most recently <laughs> I, got, I, I, I connected with, with James to dissuade him of his silly opinions on the volume. 
Does he know? I read that out. I read that out. Did you? We talked about it at length on this podcast, didn't it? Where he basically said I was a bell end because actually the volume's really good and it's used very, very well in lots of places. Just as with all filmmaking tools, uh, it can good. be used badly or it can be used well. And okay. I conceded that I was wrong. Oh, okay. He Except Obi Wan uses it badly. <laughs> right. He says, "Does he know, for instance, that 1899 was shot extensively on the volume and looks amazing?" There you go. Which yeah. it does. It's it. Yeah. It's it's all about just deployment isn't it you can use things well or you can use things badly uh, everyone can be uh but uh, yes no 1899 looks looks fabulous yeah and i didn't know it used the volume so when you can't tell and you don't know yeah that's proof that's that the it. volume can be great not a ficus in sight boyd not a ficus exactly. in sight exactly yeah. anyway that is this week's post bag we'll have more next week if you'd like to be in the post bag then do feel free to slip into our dms on twitter at pilot tv pod and i shall wade through them live except not live because we pre-record on next week's show right let's move on to news who wants to bring me some news i think we need a companion piece to the rest of the podcast oh hey boyd see what i did there very good yes um uh, sorry. <laughs> scathing. <laughs> that is scathing. Yes, James, Millie Gibson was announced as the new Doctor Who companion on a thing called Children in Need, which you've probably never heard of. <laughs> it's been going no, for No, I've like, heard of it. Is that the one with okay. Pugsley the Bear? It's the one with Pugsley the Bear. It used yeah. to be hosted by um, Terry Wogan, etc., back in the day um, when the great man was alive. And now Children in Need is a huge, like, telethon thing that goes out every year on BBC One. So they took the opportunity to unveil um, Shuti Gatwa's new um, uh, companion. She is the, the aforementioned Millie Gibson. She's most famous. She's only 18 years old. So wow. which I think is interesting and significant. Shooty, of course, himself, actually, I mean, he's 30, but he plays a teenager in sex education. So they're clearly going for Russ T. Davis and his new conception of Doctor Who for the future. They're going for a young, very young cast, you know, trying to appeal to a new audience as well as retaining the Doctor Who um, fan base. And I think it makes perfect sense. And, and she um, she's mainly known for her role in Coronation Street. And people who I have to c- confess, I haven't watched Coronation Street for years, but people who do watch Coronation Street, like Kay, for example, who writes the soap column for Heat Magazine, they all assure me that she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She won an award for her role in Coronation Street. And judging from the video they made, they did a video together, her and Shooty, uh, everything everyone says, she's a brilliant actress. And congratulations to her. I'm very excited to see how it all turns out in Doctor Who when it arrives in the autumn of next year. I, too, am very excited, Boyd. Although, that said, I am quite excited to see Shooty as the Doctor. Yeah, I mean, can't wait. But the whole, this whole thing, you know, with these young, these charismatic young new cast members, the much bigger budget that's going to happen because with the deal with Disney+, Plus, Russell T. Davis returning as showrunner, um, all of it is spectacularly exciting, I think, for all Whovians out there. It, these decisions and the way they're publicizing them like russell t davis has like become like a, a publicity genius where he finds the right moment to publicize <laughs> these make these big revelations like famously the shooty was announced as the new doctor on the day of the baftas this year yeah. you yeah. know and it was like he got masses of free publicity because they were on the rep carpet together he's like as well as being a genius writer he's also a genius um publicist you know that's just like a sideline he's got now <laughs> um but yeah fantastically exciting news for doctor who I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. I've never been excited for Doctor Who before, especially. No no yeah. shade to the show. I, I just I'm not really a sci-fi kind of person as well, you know, despite James's best efforts. And I actually can't wait to see this. Like I'm so excited. I love him. I think he's such a like ebullient 
pure like energy and I, I'm just yeah really excited to see him play like a lead as well like I, I think it's gonna mm, be great yeah yeah I agree I mean that is very telling yeah, yeah. if you're excited that is that is excellent yeah <laughs> talking to being very excited we finished recording I think just as the third season of White Lotus was announced yes. <laughs> which yes. is gonna be incredible that's going to be awesome. When we did the, for the feature, when I was talking to Mike, and I think he said in a few since that it, he would love to bring back other characters, not just Jennifer Coolidge for more seasons moving forward, which could mean season three brings other people. So, so that's very exciting. Very exciting. Do you think he will bring back at least Jennifer Coolidge? Do you think that will be? I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe her, her time. Mm. I don't know. I'd like to. She's obviously having the best time ever at the moment um, in the second season. I love he's got her like on the Vespa already and clowns and just like being spoiled and having her like fantasy. I don't know what they do with the third season, but I would also, I love the characters of, I'm, I'm, the, the second season's growing on me, but the first season characters I, I loved so much. I'd gladly see any of them come back for a new season. Um, so yeah. Yeah, we'll see. See what happens. Speaking of things being picked up, The Devil's Hour is getting two more seasons, which was unexpected and interesting. Um, what else has happened? I'm, I'm conscious of the fact we probably need to rattle through news because we are doing four shows this week and I have precious little time. There is. Did you see the story that, that they're making a drama about the FTX scandal the, uh, in America and that the Russo brothers are going to be producing it and David Vile is going to be kind of show running it. But just the fact that a, that, that, that story just blew up, you know, about a week ago, <laughs> as far as I can make out, this whole thing about this billionaire who lost his entire fortune on these ridiculous business, massive business is really fascinating that they literally jumped on it instantly and said, we'll make, we're going to make the drama. Um, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, why not? And David Vile, of course, is the Hunters creator. And a lot of people, by the way, in brackets, messaged me saying, did you finish Hunters? Because we, we alluded to it last week that the second season will be along in January. I think I did finish it. I really enjoyed mm. Hunters, generally. Um, it was mad, but I enjoyed it. So, But that's what David Vile of Hunters fame is going to do next, an FTX limited series from the Russo brothers. Mm. Well, I know there's loads of other news. But we're going to have to skip but, through it. The only thing I'm fine. just going to say, just, I'm going to say one thing. I'm just going to say one thing. There is a new poster for The Last of Us, which is mm. glorious. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And I will say no more about it, except the trailer is outstanding. Oh uh, but let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. To, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Let's move on to the review <laughs> section. And we begin this week with Three Pines, which is on Prime Video. And this is based on the Chief Inspector Gamash novels by Louise Penny. Uh, and this stars Alfred Molina as the man himself investigating the case of an unfortunate electrocution in eastern Quebec. In a show that is, and I've got to be honest, far more French than advertised, uh, Beth... Qu'avez-vous pensé de cela? Uh, eh? <laughs> I know, I probably butchered some French. That was Google Translate French, sorry. Uh, did you like it? What did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I, I haven't got much of a, of a pre-existing relationship with Alfred uh, Molina apart from the Spider-Man films, which is on my part a, a, a disservice. So I apologise, Alfred. Um he he's a lovely man, isn't he? What a lovely um, screen presence. So we we meet him, and I am always a little bit skeptical of trying to shoehorn in sympathy for members of authority. But it does start with kind of setting him off as this kind of different um, inspector. You know, it starts with a big protest 
some bad decisions are made on the part of the the authorities and he kind of wades through and, and makes them better sort of asserting him as this kind of good guy and then yeah he goes he goes out to this little this little town three pines um there's quite a like can I say a glamorous death, a glamorous electrocution? Sure. <laughs> Quite glamorous electrocution. And and through that, him and his team sort of get right into the minutia of the town, get to know the oddballs and the, you know, the big honchos and who's afraid of who and who doesn't get on with who and, and what's going on. And it looks really beautiful. It's all very snowy and pristine and cold and mysterious. But I, I do like these kind of shows where you do get to go in and, and something a little bit weirds off. The supporting cast are really great as well. Had a good time with them. But yeah, I, I think he's, I, I could just watch him forever. I think he's such a, such a wonderful, charismatic force. Loved seeing him kind of probe in. There's some, I don't know. Uh, there's 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 an undercurrent with like the indigenous characters in the show as well, which feels quite on the nose, especially after all of the news that broke last year in Canada about the orphanages, uh, indigenous which orphanages, which are referenced quite early on in this, which as well. are referenced pretty pretty early on. So they get that they get that done pretty pretty quickly, and the way that they handle that is is quite sensitive, which is good. You know, they don't shy away from it either. There's obviously quite a lot of of turmoil with regards to that, and and this town kind of grappling with that past certainly but I just I really like the the kind of I love a bit of an oddball as <laughs> hailing from Sweden I love anything with a bit of an oddball kind of residential kind of feel to it and and just someone you you sort of trust and, and can watch forever kind of navigating through it so yeah had a good time had a good time with it yeah it's all about Alfred Molina isn't it it's like um, it yeah he's so watchable I mean if you think compare it to like his role in Boogie Nights or something when he played that um complete psychopath <laughs> Oh my um, God, I forgot about this. Yeah, one of well, the great... A, I've done all of that now. <laughs> yeah, well, that, but that was totally cast him against type anyway. Well, you know, he comes down to, some, yeah. to cast him in that role. Absolute genius. Um, yeah. But he is, he oozes kind of dignity, doesn't he, in this role? Yeah. Um, it reminded me a bit of Top of the Lake. I mean, it's not, I mean, Top of the Lake is a masterpiece, mm. both series, but mm. having a kind of a detective character that uh, uh, it, who is a force for good and is morally, like, uh, you know, uh, upstanding and kind of is looking for ways to help people rather than being a hindrance to people. And is, you know, I, I just think, like, it's just a really soulful, interesting character. You just believe, you know, everything that he does and says instantly. And in a way, this is quite – I was quite surprised because in a way this is this is a kind of a procedural. I mean, interesting what James thinks because they kind of solve – without one, they, they, in the first two episodes, they solve the main crime. He solves the main – the glamorous killing that you're talking about. But there's an ongoing undercurrent of the missing people yeah. storyline that I think is going to – play out through the whole series so there's, there's clearly going to be different murders of the week or at least of two weeks two episodes per main case i think and an ongoing one at the same time like a parallel story with the indigenous person going missing etc so it's an interesting structure is what i'm trying to say yeah but i would like the fact that he kind of solved the crime in two episodes i thought that was good um why mess about you know he, he and and i thought i, I did guess so I, even though I guessed who, what the kind of, um, you know, who was responsible, because I watched the, the second episode, it was, it was still very satisfying. And the way they dealt with that and the way they revealed it and the way, you know, there was like a twist in the tale, etc., was very enjoyable. And it's beautifully, the whole setting is beautiful. That, that rural setting, again, reminded me of Top of the Lake, using this kind of rural setting with indigenous people, uh, beautifully filmed. 
Uh, very cinematic. I, I really enjoyed it. I was, I was surprised to the extent I enjoyed it. Well, it's the Alfred Molina show, as you say. It's, it's, he's he's very very watchable. But uh, yeah, I, I I think it has it has as best said big oddball energy. Like it has that. It's not Twin Peaks because it's not overtly surreal, but it's very very quirky. And in that way that it has, it's a quirky community, and there's a sort of an insider outsider vibe where he's on the outside looking in, just trying to make sense of this community. And it, and I think that part of it almost as much as if not more than the crime i think drew me in you're just fascinated to get this outsider's view of this slightly weird community but uh, yes i thought this was good it is not your standard procedural format which means it gets a pass from me which is good as well um (laughs) but yes this is uh on amazon prime or prime video as we have been instructed to call it uh and this uh, i see i'm playing for time here because i'm trying to look out what day i don't know what date it is it's friday Friday. it's friday brilliant it's on prime on friday thank you very much (laughs) okay great Next, we have The Patient on Disney+, Plus, which stars Steve Carell as a famous therapist who finds himself kidnapped by one of his patients, played by Donald Gleason, who, it turns out, is, shall we say, has, has bigger problems than simply being in need of a little bit of therapy. It is... And I can't emphasize this enough. Only 21 minutes long, the first episode of this. But, Boydie, did you have the patience for the oh, patient? Yeah, it's extraordinary how short the episodes are, actually. They're like little kind of... They're all between about 20 and 25 minutes. Yeah. So it's a fascinating... It's 10 episodes. Initially, you think, oh, that's a lot. Uh, but then when you find out they're between 20 and 25 minutes, you're like, oh, no, it's not. It's it's created by Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg, who um, was showrun on the legendary The Americans, the much slightly undervalued but brilliant um, six-season show that was The Americans, the espionage thing. I think this is mainly about, again, it's all about the casting, isn't it? It's like Steve Carell and Donald Gleeson together, kind of bouncing off each other, particularly Donald Gleeson's character being a psychopath, as as as, as you referred to. This is initially one with spoilers, because I'm like, you could consider the whole, just describing the whole premise as a spoiler. It's one of those, but it is revealed within the first five minutes. I mean, you meet Steve Carell's character, this this psychotherapist chained to the wall, and he's like, in, he doesn't know why. And to start with, you think it's going to be like a Saw-style horror film or something, um, and then it turns <laughs> out when, that he's being captured by Donald Gleeson's... Um, it's in treatment s- with a body count. <laughs> it's in treatment with a, with a major body count. There are, they, yeah. they might, he, but somehow they may. What's clever about it, I think, it could have been completely confined to, the, to this one space. But he does. They do show um, flashbacks to, particularly to Steve Carell's character and the therapist, with his wife and his son. And there's a whole Jewish thing going on. There's a whole kind of exploration of um, very religious Jewish people and not quite so religious Jewish people, and that can cause how that can cause conflict. And I wasn't expecting that as a subplot, but it is very interesting. And the way that's dramatised, I thought was really believable and fascinating. There's a whole other. There's a whole twist that happened. Not a twist. There's a whole. there were developments that happen that you might think, oh, how, you know, that's going to make the fact that this is confined to essentially two characters in one space be quite claustrophobic and repetitive, but it's actually not so much. And the way it isn't quite as claustrophobic as you expect it to be is quite clever, I think, and um, compelling. I just, but the bottom line is you've got Steve Carell being, showing how fantastic he is in a totally straight role. I mean, he's a brilliant comic uh, genius, I think. You know, obviously the, the American office just season after season is brilliance from him. And he turned that, you know, he he turned that equivalent of David Brent into a completely different character, but yet had the had the kind of crux of why David Brent was such a phenomenal character to build a whole sitcom around, but just in a slightly different way. And I think he is a complete um, acting genius. And to see him doing sinking his teeth into this role alongside Donald Gleason is really entertaining. So I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it's funny to see how 
energetically he wants to put the days of Michael Scott behind yeah. him. When you look at the stuff he's he's been taking on since, like if you think about his role in the morning show, for example, and how he he went from this kind of clumsy boss at work to like a sexual predator at a TV channel. He yeah, he he's really, really vying for that kind of prestige role now, isn't he? And not like the world's like biggest buffoon boss. And I think this is probably the best thing. I, I liked the first season of Morning Show, but he wasn't the best thing in it. Whereas I, I feel with this, he really is turning in one of his best performances. And it's a, you know, it is a demanding one. A lot of heavy lifting in a short run time for one, which I love. Um, you know, that confined premise as well, the high stakes, a lot of emotional heavy lifting with his son, as you've said, but also this this dynamic that he has with Donald Gleason, who is just chilling, isn't he? It reminded me of that um, single scene he has in a film called Calvary with uh, Brennan Gleason, mm-hmm. and he plays. Um, oh, it's it's so horrible! Like he, he's a cannibal. They have this kind of this two hander in just this one scene, and in that one scene, he just chills you to the bone, and it's very much that energy here. But the, the premise is fascinating. Like, like Steve Gorell's character has to get into his brain and and try and help him in order for him to to save his own life. Like that is just that is just fascinating to me. So to see those two together is is really the the standout for me and and the runtime absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I'll be I'll be definitely watching more. It's funny though, isn't it? Because like it's twenty one minutes long, and I was like, yes, I'm going to whiz through this. But of course, I didn't because I ended up watching four episodes of it because it's <laughs> like crack. Because they do that clever thing; it's really short lump runtime, but they always finish on a cliffhanger yeah. and it may not be an overt cliffhanger but it's definitely something you're like oh for god's sake i've absolutely got to watch the next one then and then you're like oh god now i've got to watch the third one and it's only because it's like yeah. well at this one i just got to go to bed but i do want to know what happens anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. um which i think is nice it's very very moorish it's like a it's like a like a box of ritz crackers wow. there you go. that's wow. my review <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Can analogy. we please do all reviews <laughs> yes. in like crack of crack yeah, biscuit yeah. form? This is a Ritz like like original, not cheesy. Like that's that's <laughs> crucial. Uh the patient then, which comes to Disney Plus on Boyd, which day? Oh god, actually, I think it's Wednesday. Wednesday, we think. <laughs> there we go. There's a bit of a face for you. It may or may not be Wednesday. Right. Next up it is we Wednesday. have it is Wednesday. Hooray! Uh, next up, we have The Flat Share on Paramount+. Plus. This is be- based on Beth O'Leary's 2019 novel of the same name. This one stars Downton Abbey's Jessica Brown-Finley as Tiffany, a woman who's recently broke up with a boyfriend, finds herself sharing a bed with a man she's never met, played by Anthony Welsh, via a, I think it's fair to say, rather unorthodox flat share agreement, hence the name of the show. Beth, was this flat or fabulous? Oh, my God. Well... I will start by saying I felt incredibly seen by this uh, <laughs> as someone who has navigated through her fair share of flat shares, London flat shares uh, in her in her time to see this um, was was quite depressing because I've not come far from it in the past. Yeah. So, so the premise is Tiffany or Tiffy, as she's annoyingly referred to, is a journalist with a nine to five. Uh, Anthony Welsh's Leon is a he works in a in a hospital and, and works night shifts and is trying to save up money to help get his brother out of prison. I'll tell you which story I was more compelled to follow. <laughs> and it was the latter. So yeah, they they have this this thing where 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. he gets the flat in the bed. And uh 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. she she comes in and does it. And uh I don't even know if we call it a relationship that develops in, in the first. It's a lot of passive aggressive sticky notes. And I can't stress enough 
how seen I felt um, <laughs> as someone who's enjoyed all manner of passive aggressive behavior from British flatmates. So yes, they, they develop this sort of back and forth. Tiffy is struggling to find ideas at the magazine she works for and then takes a, a call from um, Richie, who's Leon's brother and is sort of deciding that she has to tell this, this, this guy's story. So yeah, it's, it's really different stories. I I love Jessica Finney Brown. I haven't I haven't seen her in too much. I I didn't watch Downton Abbey, unlike someone who I know definitely has, unlike Love Life, where the jury's still out on that. And Anthony Welsh again haven't seen him in much, but I I definitely felt more compelled by his performance and his story is far more interesting. I think the Tiffy storyline where she goes in the pitch meeting, she's struggling. She goes out and does shots in Shoreditch, like all that stuff. I've I've seen quite a lot, and and that's not the fault of, of Jessica Brown Findlay. Like she's she's very effervescent and fun, and I yeah she she she's good. Like in the first shot, she's got tears streaming down her face, looking like her abysmal flat. Shit. Like she's she's good fun, but that story I've seen just countless times whereas Leon's story is, is a lot more compelling I found and I found his performance more compelling he was just a, a little bit more nuanced and and charming and I kind of would have rather have just seen a, a show about his story to be honest I feel like the other one is is slightly tired at this stage yeah I kind of agree yeah I think I mean, I felt seen slightly. She works for this online magazine and oh she has God, meetings yeah. where she has to come with ideas, feature ideas. And I felt seen, I have to say, in some of those scenes <laughs> with Dustin Demery Burns as the boss. Yeah, I love him He's from brilliant. staff. Yeah, he yeah. was very believable uh, as yeah. the editor of this thing, trying to extract <laughs> decent ideas out of his staff of millennials. I find that whole, I find that whole thing because those those scenes can be incredibly unauthentic. I actually thought they were really well done. They're really well handled. Yeah. That that part of it. But you're right. Her story. I'm, I, I challenge a. I challenge James to review this show without referring to her character as a hot mess. Um, and. <laughs> um, that is partly because of the we have seen characters similar to this and and establishing ideas of them listening to you know middle um, middle of the road classic tear jerking songs you know there's a Bridget Jones element to it whereas the his storyline Anthony Welsh's storyline looking after this particularly in the hospital looking after this um, girl young girl was really was much more interesting and he is great I just think he's a really he's kind of interestingly like a calm he's got calmness to him he's not over the top like where some of her scenes are completely played for laughs. I mean, it's trying to be a, you know, a comedy, isn't it, more than anything? I think it's trying to be a romantic comedy, pretty much. And it's got, and I think the premise is really good. The, 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 I know people who've read the original novel and say it was great, it was a great book, and it's quite, it's a clever idea with all the, the passive-aggressive posting notes, etc. But he just brings a real, just a real directness to the show, and his performance is great, um, and he's just a really believable character. So while she, and I'm sure they will her character will become more three dimensional as it goes on. And she's and she's she's very good at such but I just I totally agree with you, Beth, that he he just immediately, immediately believe in him and you're interested mm. in him and you're rooting for him and not so much with her. And that's just probably the, the the design of the show. But it was all about him for me, Anthony Well. She's really, really good. He is really, really I, I don't I, 
this is so i'm watching this show no no so so this is the problem it is for me and i don't really understand why so Mm. i'm watching this show and i'm like do you know what sometimes it's a little bit cliched like it's very sort of like feels like first roll of the dice romantic comedy in places apart from the clever premise and you know it's a bit trite and then as with often you get with rom-com movies you know there are there are some sort of quote-unquote poignant subplots which again just a very very rough oh he's got a brother who's in prison for a crime he didn't commit she happens to be a journalist maybe it's like fucking hell that's tired like (laughs) and and she works for this online publication he's like yeah you gotta you know if it bleeds it leaves it's all a bit like oh fuck off like it's it's (laughs) so first base and so stereotyped so lazy at times and yet and yet i was completely sucked in by it and i think the first problem is i'm just such a soppy twat that British romantic comedies in particular just get me in a way American ones rarely do but British romantic comedies why I have that whole Richard Curtis thing going on mm. like I ju- there's just something about it I find those kind of like romantically told stories in that very British relatable way yeah. incredibly addictive so I've watched like a bunch of these and I'm absolutely going to watch all of them and I can't say it's the best show of the week I can't even say it's necessarily great I think it's good <laughs> but but there's just something about it which is just maybe what I need at the moment and it's given me what I need it's very sweet and they're both lovely relatable characters and you root for both of them mm. and they both have terrible partners slash exes which again you know it's not sophisticated writing particularly but you can get on board with that mm. and I just yeah I I, I thought it was I yeah I, I like it I may love it a little bit I just can't really <laughs> say why <laughs> yeah, her ex anyway, is horrendous yeah he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's the absolute awesome. Absolute worst. Yeah. The absolute worst. Yeah. That said, I thought his girlfriend was also the worst, but that's a mm. whole other thing. Mm. Uh the flat chair then, which is on Paramount Plus, and it arrives when Boyd. I you Thursday. think I should just bring the calendar up. Why do I not have the calendar up in front of me? I could just look at the calendar and I could tell you these things. It's on Thursday. It's on Thursday on Paramount Plus. There we go. The flat chair. Now, finally, 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 we have slow horses on Apple. Uh, as we've mentioned, the fact that we have a second slow horses this year is a very, very exciting thing. But it's back. It's the second season. It's here. Jackson Lamb and his band of misfits are back. Boydy, are you a lion for lamb? Yes. I just love this show. <laughs> I mean, I'll just just get it all out there. This is like absolute dream show for me. I love espionage thrillers. I love um, John Le Carre. I love, as I mentioned in the interview with um, Gary Oldman and Saskia Reeves, I love Tink- his, him and Tinkertail Soldier Spy. It's one yeah. of my favourite films of the last like 20 years. I watch it every few months, every six months or so. And this is a... And, um, this is a kind of, as the author of the original books, Mick Heron says, he was inspired by Tinker Taylor to some extent and John Le yeah. Carre to, to build a kind of a new type of spy stories where it's 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 kind of like it's played for comic value. Like the you know the, these people are the kind of losers of, of the espionage world, the losers of MI five, people who've fucked up, people who've got various think- problems going on in their life that affect them and affect their professionalism and he himself of course uh, Jackson Lamb is this fantastically slobbish guy <laughs> who's like you know kind of he's 
his everything about him is brilliantly um, authentic. His long his his coat is you can almost smell it off the screen. You can yeah. see like the stains and the dirt, and he's never cleaned it. And the way he eats, there's a scene in a um, where he's eating <laughs> a Chinese meal in a takeaway yeah. where he's just slobbering the noodles <laughs> into his mouth, and it's so awful. And he's so he does it so brilliantly while smoking, by the way, as well. He's smoking a cigarette at the same time as he's eating this Chinese no- these noodles. It's he is so phenomenal. You can just sense like how much he's enjoying getting this role and playing it to the hilt. But of course, at the same time that he is that the, the, all these people are supposedly barely competent, his team they were actually they are kind of they all know what they're doing. They're all actually really skilled and smart and clever. They're just kind of like the losers considered the losers by the mainstream spying community. And I love that element to it as well. Just at the whole the ensemble cast Saskia Reeves character is brilliant. There's two new characters who come in this series, played by um, Kadif Kirwan and Amy Fionn Edwards. And they, they don't have that much to do initially, but they come into it more, I would say, around episode three, like halfway through the series. Yeah. Um, Kadif's really good. I love him. I just, I just, the whole tone of it is, it's funny. It's your, the, the central mystery in this, which is about this guy who is killed. He goes on this long bus journey and he's like a veteran um, spy that they all know and working out who's responsible for that. And it takes ludicrous twists and turns there are some escapades involving planes <laughs> and weird posh families etc that are barely believable but somehow you go along with it because it's so entertaining it's brilliantly filmed and directed um i just love it yeah so i can't and the fact that they've somehow turned this into a two season a year thing is yeah. phenomenal they've already commissioned the next two series apple tv plus knows when it's got a brilliant thing on its hands and consequently it's uh, i can't wait to carry on watching these stories for years to come. No, I agree with you. This this is fast becoming one of my favourite TV shows. In the same way that when a new season of Bosch used to land, I would just devour it all in a day. This was exactly the same thing. I just ploughed through all of it, or sloughed through it, if you will. Uh, and oh. uh, it, it's sorry, <laughs> it's it's magnificent. He's so good, but they're all really good. It's not just the Gary Oldman yeah. show. Like, don't get me wrong, he's the standout, but everyone in it is brilliant. Jack Loudon is brilliant. Saskia Reeves, as you said, is brilliant. I really enjoyed the new characters. I thought that mm. uh, Amy Fionn Edwards was. She had the very sort of like slowly salty relationship with uh what's his face the it twat i cannot remember his name uh roddy that's yes. it. it was roddy the it twat um and there's this whole sort of like thing undercover there's all these different strands there's undercover in the cotswolds there's this, this protection detail sort of side thing i think the only thing that was missing to be honest from you the only thing that was missing from this particular season was kristen scott thomas that's not to say she isn't in it she is in it mm. as lady die diana taverner but there wasn't enough like that one of the joys of the first season was seeing jackson and taverner sort of like fence because she has absolute contempt for him and this you get a little bit of that but you don't see her as much in fact she's kind of relegated spending most of her time with the home secretary who was also in season one and is even more odious but yeah so i would have liked to have seen more of her but we did get quite a bit of uh, freddie fox in this as spider web which is great he's fun hateable character and there are shocks like lest we forget and i'm not going to reveal what it was but in season one there was a big plot twist involving a major character and they don't take their foot off the pedal for this one either like a lot happens that you wouldn't necessarily expect 
happen. It's not it's not all light and fluffy, despite the fact that this has a sort of like a real streak of black comedy all the way through it. Like it is comedic. It's not a comedy, but it's 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 got a it's got some laughs in it. Like it's it's a lot of fun. So I think it's compelling, it's amusing, it's entertaining, it's all the stuff you want from a TV show. So yes, this will absolutely be featuring on my shows of the year list, and I love it. And we've had it twice in one year. And even though the world is almost literally on fire at the moment, it's good to know that at least some good things remain. And this is one of them. So Slow Horses, which drops on Apple TV Plus on Friday. What are our various picks of the week? Oh, I think it's The Patient for me. If you want to win me over, just just lock 40 minutes off your episode <laughs> runtime and I'm, I'm all yours. <laughs> yeah, uh, Slow Horses for me. Yeah, I love it. Slow Horses, yeah. yes. It is definitely Slow Horses for me too. It is glorious. Right. Uh, what else have we missed, Boydie? What else is out this um, week? So obviously Willow lands, which yeah. is embargoed until Wednesday. We weren't able to talk about Willow. We might talk about it next week. Um, did you know, and I'm sure you did know because your TV's Boyd Hilton, did you know that the uh, Criminal Minds Evolution, was it that, that's, that's sort of back, isn't it? Which is the, now I, I this is, this is, so Criminal Minds I watched way back in the day when it was Mandy Patinkin originally and I didn't even know there was a spin-off series and apparently it's in season 16. What the hell is that? I don't know. No. You've 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 caught me out. I have no you idea. You don't know either. No. Okay, fine. Well, there's cr- Criminal Minds Evolution then. Is it on a UK uh, channel? On, apparently it's on Disney Plus on oh, the 25th okay. of November. So make no of that idea. what you will. Uh, what else have we got? Chucky Season 2 comes to Sci-Fi. Sky Sci-Fi on the 26th as well. I've never seen We Are Not Alone, Boydie, but there's a season special on Dave on the 28th. What's that about? That is actually a one-off. It's a one-off 90-minute uh, comedy, sci-fi comedy about aliens, yeah, invading the Earth. Um, so, so it's not a spin-off of an existing no, show? No, it's a oh, one-off okay. thing. Well, then that yeah. explains why I've never heard of it. Exactly, yeah. It's got a really good cast. I, I actually watched some of it. It was funny, yeah. It's, it's very entertaining, yeah. But we couldn't review it because it's 90 minutes long. Basically. Oh, yeah. Beth, Beth would write it. That's yeah. never going to happen. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. What else have we got? Uh, Avenue, Avenue 5. Five. Yeah, season two yes. um, on Sky Comedy now on Wednesday, starting on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Apparently, that is Armando Inucci's spaceship set um, comedy, which I really enjoyed season one. But apparently, from all all the reports that season two is even better, like kind of steps it up a bit um, this time around. You'll be thrilled to know, James, there is a show called The Traitors, which is going to be on, it's going to start straight after the England v Wales game on Tuesday at 9.30, and it's going to be on for the next few weeks interspersed with the World Cup on BBC One. And oh, it's God. a kind of um, reality game show, murder mystery type thing hosted by Claudia Winkleman, and it's really good, And but it's not, obviously, you won't have a look at it, but popular culture people will appreciate that. It's a really good format, right. and Claudia Winkleman's brilliant. Anyway, um... I think that might be it. Um, traitors. That is it for I'm this week. You can see this magazine okay. live. I can hear the, <laughs> you can hear the pages being turned. I can hear you rustling through your pages. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that is it then. That's it. We're done. We're finished. We're out. That's got to be worth five stars, right? Give us five stars. Please deposit them on Apple Podcasts, regardless of whether you are a fruit-based phone user or not. And if you'd like to experience such delights as me posting incessant gifts from Andor, then do feel free to follow me on Instagram at James C. Dyer and follow Beth on at Beth Gay Webb and Boyd on at Boyd Hilton. Now, next week, we will be able to talk about Willow, but the question is, will we have time given that ITVX launches next week? And we'll have a ton of shows to talk about on that including A Spy Among Friends, which stars Guy Pearce, who will also be on the show to talk about it, which is pretty exciting. I wonder what he will think about Neighbours coming back. Of course, we will not find out because we did the interview weeks and weeks and weeks ago before Neighbours was renewed, but that was a missed opportunity. What are you going to do? Anyway, until then, pilot out. Pilot out. 